We are very rich people to hold this book in our hands, aren't we? To have the truth of God revealed in Christ. So we're going to read today in Luke chapter 6. We're going to read verses 37 through 42. If you don't have your own copy of the scriptures, there probably is one in one of the seats below, underneath. You're welcome to grab that, page 863. We're going to read... Luke 6, verses 37 through 42. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that's in your brother's eye. Let's pray. Father, we are blessed to be able to have the truth of your word. We receive a lot of supposed truth in the world that is just distorted lies and things that would lead us astray in our hearts. And yet when we listen to the words of our Lord, we begin to see things in the right perspective. And we are grateful for the series that we've been in, the truths that we've learned. And as we look forward to the preaching of your word today, we pray that you would show us Christ. Lord, we pray that it would be something that as our good shepherd, it would nourish our souls We pray that it would transform our life and our heart to be more like our Lord. We pray, Lord, that it would equip us to be able to live as a light in our world, to reach others for Christ and to build one another up. We love you for doing all these things for us, and we bless your name. So we ask that you continue to prepare our hearts, help us to be good listeners, not just with our ears, but with a submissive spirit as well as we listen to the preaching of your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, all of us growing up uh, probably had our heroes, right? Our heroes that we looked up to, um, that we admired. Maybe it was a favorite teacher, a favorite actor a favorite celebrity, a favorite athlete. Uh, But again, no doubt most of us growing up had uh, some kind of hero that we looked up to, some kind of hero that we admired. And when you admire those heroes, you tend to start to imitate them, right? Uh, You say the things they say, you do the things they do. Uh, They say imitation is the highest form of flattery. Uh, And so we often do that with those we admire, those we think about and and admire and and think highly of. We we become like them. So so you can watch a young athlete 
who perhaps has a has a favorite uh, baseball player, and they'll go out on the field, and you can see them mimicking and imitating the same things that their favorite professional uh, baseball player does. Or you'll see often our young people dressing and thinking and talking and acting like their favorite celebrity or their favorite actor. We are easily influenced and are drawn to imitate those that we admire. And of course, as adults, we do this too, right? We do this. We, we tend to imitate those that we admire, uh, perhaps maybe imitate the business practices of, or, or a leader who you uh, look up to and you, you, you admire them and you, you put some of their, their habits and their thoughts and their ways into your own acting, into your own living. Uh, many preachers do this. Uh, I've shared with you many times that for myself, I'm very heavily influenced by Charles Spurgeon uh, from the 1800s. Uh, just a wonderfully gifted man by, by God who I admire very much and love to read his sermons, thousands and thousands and thousands of his sermons. Uh, you can read online for free. I have uh, a book with a lot of his sermons. Uh, about a year or two ago, I was given a gift from my, from my parents called The Lost Sermons of Spurgeon. I mean, that doesn't get any better than that. Uh, that, was, <clears throat> that was wonderful. Uh, but he was a godly man, uh, and I seek to imitate his spirit and, and to uh, <clears throat> be used by the Lord in that sense. <clears throat> I can also remember shortly after I got saved, I was saved at the age of uh, 17. Uh, the Lord in his grace brought me to himself then as I was reading the scriptures and saw my sin and my need for a savior, and God uh, graciously redeemed me. And just like we just saying, I didn't deserve that, nothing special about me. I'm just a sinner, and the Lord Jesus Christ is a great savior, and he was gracious to me and saved me. And early on, <clears throat> uh, my father introduced me to uh, not a very well-known guy, just, just a guy that he knew. I think he went to college with him and had gone on to be an evangelist, and I met this man and just had a brief conversation with him uh, before he preached, and my dad just shared some of my story with him, and he said that he'd be praying for me, <clears throat> which everyone says, all right, I'll pray for you. Do we actually do that? Uh, that often becomes the, the, the conviction there. But <clears throat> I didn't think much of it. Flash forward, I can't remember, three or four or five years later, probably more like three or four, he speaks at the college that I went to and also Josiah went to. Then it was Baptist Bible College. It's something else now, Clark Summit University or something like that. <clears throat> but while we're there, he speaks, and he sees me, and he comes up to me and tells me he's been praying for me every day uh, since he had met me that day. Now, that's worthy of imitating. <clears throat> but I share that also to say that when he preached, he preached old school. And <clears throat> I don't know if you've seen this before, but he would take his right arm and he would put it behind his back. Have you seen that before? And then when he was getting really <clears throat> into the message or fired up by the truth, he would begin to lean over the pulpit. Then when he was really doing that, he would take his glasses off and let you have it. Like that was his style. That, <clears throat> that's old school style. You'll see that in a lot of the, uh, the, the older videos of some old preachers and evangelists preaching. Of course, Billy Graham was a very famous, very popular preacher, uh, and he was known to preach like this. He would hold the Bible in this hand, and he would do this. Right as he would preach. And then you began to see many other preachers do that exact same thing. Uh, so we're often very influenced by those that we admire. <clears throat> but the fact is, and please do bear with me this morning, allergies are 
brutal uh, currently. And so it is very difficult up here even now to be preaching. My eyes just want to swell shut and lots of fun stuff wants to come out of my nose. Uh, so I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not sick. It's just it's allergies, uh, but it does make it difficult to have energy and to, want, and to, and to preach. So I appreciate your prayers as, as I preach. But the fact is, as we think about imitation and, and heroes that we admire, is that no one becomes a great preacher simply by imitating the cadences and the phrases and the, <coughs> excuse me, and the various styles of those that they <coughs> admire. You do not become a strong Christian by merely mimicking the habits of someone you admire. You know, maybe you have the same Bible they have, or you wear the same clothes that they wear, or you talk the way that they talk. That, that's not how you become a great preacher. That's not how you become a great Christian. It's not outward. It's what? It's inward, and our text is going to bring that out to us this morning. What matters is what we are on the inside. It's about getting at their heart, getting at their spirits. That's why I titled this message, Getting to the Heart of Discipleship. Jesus is drawing that out in this Sermon on the Plain. It's about going beyond the externals. It's easy to imitate, to mimic uh, externally, uh, but it... It needs to move internally. It needs to be the heart, and that is the heart of discipleship. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus has been laying out for us as his disciples exactly what that looks like. Uh, in verses 20 through 23, or I'm sorry, through 26, he has shown us what we should cherish and what should we should despise, and that we should actually cherish what this world despises, and we should despise what this world embraces and delights in. He's also shown us uh, that being a follower of Christ means loving our enemies, to do good to them, to bless them, and to expect nothing in return for doing so. This morning we will see that being a follower of Christ and having his heart, his spirit, means that we don't judge, and we'll flesh out what that means. And then next week, Lord willing, we'll look at verses 43 and 45, and we'll see about godly character, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up there in verses 46 through 49 about obedience, the importance of obedience. These are all the marks of what it means to be a disciple. These all get to the heart of discipleship, following the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now look at verse 40. <clears throat> verse 40 says this, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is, catch that phrase, fully trained will be like his teacher. <laughs> now that's a phrase uh, that came very much alive to me uh, this week. The word fully trained uh, comes from a Greek uh, word that means to, among other things, to set a broken bone straight. <clears throat> God is providential, isn't he? I think you may or may not know, I mean, it's been, been shared through prayer requests, and I briefly mentioned it this morning, that uh, last week after church, uh, Titus was, was playing soccer and broke both bones in his, in one of his legs. <clears throat> so we went to the hospital. Uh, initially, the doctor did not think that it was broken, 
but they took the x-rays and it was broken. I can remember the doctor saying, saying to Val and I, do you want to look at the x-rays? And I just said, I, I mean, I can. I don't know what I'm looking at. And he said, you'll know what you're looking at. And you looked at that and you could see the clear break that his bones were out of alignment. And so here we come to verse 40 where it talks about being fully trained. And that's a word that was used often to talk about when someone breaks their bone, that the doctor would reset it or realign it. That speaks volumes because when we first come to faith in Christ, our priorities, our thinking, our wants, our desires are out of whack. We come to Christ very messed up, right? We don't come to him with all of our strengths and perfections and say, look at me, use me. No, we come to him in all of our our messes and our sin and, and being out of whack. And Jesus immediately gets to work to make us fully trained, to align us back into place for his services, for his purposes. That is what Christianity is all about. That's what being a disciple is all about. It's about being fully trained. It's about being uh, realigned. It's about being uh, transformed more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. Now, as I said, that, that word very much came alive to me this week because uh, that means fully trained. If that's setting a bone back into its place, then being fully trained, being transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ is painful. It's also a community project, which I don't know if I would have thought about it as much as I did if, if what had happened hadn't happened. I counted seven different individuals on the medical team that were helping Titus and our family uh, with all that went on uh, last Sunday in the ER. Seven different people on that medical team who were, knew their role and they knew what they had to do uh, to make everything go as, as smoothly as it could. And that was a very, very busy day for them. I've never seen the ER that busy in my life. My mom said she has many times. She, she was an uh, ER supervisor uh, for 30, 40 years or something like that. Uh, <clears throat> but there were all these beds lined up in the hallway, and people were on those beds. I mean, it was full. It was packed. Uh, but still, this team was helping uh, us and our family and helping Titus with his leg. And so that just uh, came through to me with verse 40 about being fully trained. You cannot become fully trained. You cannot be transformed. You cannot become more like Jesus Christ on your own. Amen? That Titus could not have realigned his leg on his own. Nor could we. I mean, we could. That'd be bad, right? It'd go very, 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 very badly. But we needed help, and and as Christians, we need help. We need trainers. We need leaders. We need helpers in our lives. And that's why just showing up on Sunday morning and listening to a sermon is not enough. That's not discipleship. That's not Christianity. And, And watching online is not enough. Just listening to worship music is not enough. This is why as a church, we run growth groups all throughout the week. We didn't come up with that idea because we thought you needed something else to do on a, on a midweek night. Now, growth groups are pivotal uh, to us growing in Christ-likeness. It's also why we have biblical counseling that we offer to anyone and everyone for any life situation because we all get stuck. Yes? 
We all get out of alignment, and we need help. Uh, we need those to come alongside us to encourage us and strengthen us. So verse 40 is just a fascinating verse. And I think what Jesus is doing all through the Sermon on the Plain is he's fleshing out, this is how you're fully trained, and this is what it looks like to be fully trained. It's getting to the heart of being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for our text this morning, that means you learn to judge others the way Jesus judges others. And I purposely worded it that way because I wanted it to really get us thinking. Because we look at verse 37, and it says, Judge not. Everyone's favorite verse, right? Whether they've ever been to church in their life or ever even read the Bible, they know that somewhere, someplace in this book, it says, do not judge, right? Everyone knows that. To to judge others is universally condemned. (coughs) Uh, To judge others is seen as, if not the greatest, one of the greatest evils you can possibly do. In this day and age, is to judge others. The battle cry of our day, of our culture, is tolerance, right? And so they love this verse. They can't tell you where it is, but they love this verse. Do not judge. And if you say something disapprovingly, you're going to hear it. Don't judge. Who are you to judge me? And and things like that. Things of that nature. So the question becomes, what does Jesus mean by not judging others? I think it's very helpful to see and to learn and to understand that there are actually two different kinds of judgments. There is a judgment of condemnation, and there is a judgment of discernment. What Jesus is saying we should not do is judge others with this judgmentalism, with this condemning spirits. But we should and we must judge others with a judgment of discernment or evaluation, you could say. Clearly, Jesus does not mean uh, in any sense uh, that we should reject due legal processes such as law courts. He's, He's not teaching that we should just blindly accept anything and everything that comes across our path. Again, what Jesus is condemning, when he says, do not judge, he is saying, do not get into the habit, that all too common practice of sharp, condemning, uh, uncompassionate judgments. <clears throat> The judgment of condemnation, or you could say judgmentalism, is arrogant. It is self-righteous. It's putting yourself in the place of God. It should have no place in the life of a Christian. But there's another kind of judgment, the judgment of discernment, that should be functioning in our lives as believers every day, every moment of every day. As Christians, we're not to be naive. We're not to be, what's that old saying? We're not to have our, our minds be so open that our brains fall out, right? We're to practice discernment. We are to be evaluating. We are to use, use our thoughts. We are to use the word of God uh, to discern other things, ourselves and others. Listen to a few different verses. <clears throat> In fact, just look, look at verses 43 through 45, and you'll see it right away. Jesus calls for this judgment of discernment. That's how we judge how he judges. Verse 43 says, No good tree bears bad fruit, 
nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. <clears throat> so right in verses 43 and 44 and 45, we need to use discernment in our own lives. Am I producing godly fruit? Right? And we need to be able to evaluate others in, the, in that same way. We need to be identify what kind of tree is this, and we know that by the fruit that it's bearing. That requires what? Judgment. Discernment. In Luke chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus says this, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Well, again, that requires the judgment of discernment to know if they've sinned and to know if they've repented. In John chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus says, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Again, that's John seven twenty four, where Jesus tells us, his disciples, to judge with right, or you could say righteous, judgments. In 1 Corinthians 2.11, the Apostle Paul writes, the spiritual person, as contrasted with the natural person, the one who's not born again, the one who does not have the Spirit, does not know Christ, the spiritual person, 1 Corinthians 2.11, judges all things. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11 says, Do not participate in the unfruitful, unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. Well, how do we expose deeds of darkness unless we have judged or evaluated? That is evil. That is sinful. That is wrong. That needs to be what? Exposed. 1 Timothy chapter 3 gives us a list of qualifications for pastors and deacons. What are we supposed to do as a church with that list of qualifications? We're supposed to see, does this man measure up? Does he meet that list of, of qualifications or not? We need to judge that reality, right? We also have 1 John chapter 4 uh, verse 1 which says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test or judge the spirits to see whether they are from God. So again, we're called upon to test, to discern, to evaluate. Second Timothy 3, 5 commands us to avoid false teachers. But how do you know they're false teachers unless you what? You get it by now, right? Unless you what? You judge them. You discern. You evaluate. So there's again and again and again this call uh, for believers uh, to practice a judgment of discernment, and that's how we judge the way how Jesus judges. Think about church discipline, right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 11, the Apostle Paul writes, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother or sister if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a person. Now, catch what he says in verse 12, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 12. For what do I have to do with judging outsiders? It is not those inside the church whom you are, is it, I'm sorry, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? 
So again, the scripture is, is full of example after example after example of the, the great privilege and responsibility that I have and you have as a disciple of Jesus Christ to judge with discernment both ourselves, that's where it's got to start, and we're going to flush it out this morning, but also others. Hardly a day or moment goes by where you don't need to evaluate or discern or think about uh, these different things, this information, these ideas, these claims, these people, and the things that they say. So that's the judgment of discernments. Again, what Jesus is forbidding is the judgment of condemnation. That's the severe, harsh, compassionless judgmentalism should have no place in our hearts and lives. Some ways to maybe try and identify if that's in your life or not. I can't remember if I put that in the notes or not for you. I, th- I, think, I think I might have, if you're following along on the notes. But some questions you can ask yourself to see if you have this, this spirit of judgmentalism. Do you perhaps take pride in your strong opinions And correspondingly, do you always feel the need to share those with others? That's a very good sign that you are judgmental. Do you generally assume that you have all the facts and that you got all the facts correctly? (coughs) Are you quick to jump to conclusions? Do you leap at the chance to point out the mistakes of others Are you inordinately negative when you think about other people? Are you inordinately negative when you think about them? Like you're out of balance. Like whenever you think about other people, generally you think very negatively. That's judgmentalism. Do you tend to put people in the worst possible light? That's judgmentalism. Scripture says, 1 Corinthians 13, we are to consider others as having the best motives. That's love. Love considers that they have the best and the right motives. Judgmentalism goes the other way and always puts people in the worst possible lights. Think about this. Do you lack any sense of proportion? What I mean by that is the smallest, uh, slightest little offense, you react in outrage and then at the greatest offense you can imagine, you, act, you react with the same outrage. You're out of proportion there. That's a good sign of judgmentalism. Another good sign of judgmentalism is being critical of others' personalities, critical of their weaknesses, critical of their opinions, their way of doing things, their convictions. You question them, you doubt them all the time. That's the kind of judgment that Jesus condemns. Do not judge He says, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. In the place of that kind of judgmentalism, we are to put on compassion. We are to put on forgiveness. We are to put on generosity. So in the place of the severe judgmentalism, this harsh judgmentalism, we put in its place compassion. Really, if you think about it, verse, verse 31 is just fleshing out verse 36. Verse 36 calls upon us to be merciful even as our Father in heaven is merciful. And you say, what does that look like? How do I do that? Well, verse 37, don't judge to condemn people. Rather, be forgiving and be giving. And you're being merciful like your Father is merciful. 
That's how that kind of ties into the context. But what a contrast, huh? Severe, harsh, compassionless condemnation and judgmentalism replaced with forgiveness, generosity, a giving of yourself for others. Sadly, I think most people, many people, are quick to criticize and condemn, very slow to forgive. And notice with me, this is not the usual word for forgiveness. There's a number of different words in the New Testament for forgiveness. This is a more rare one that gets used. But the idea here for forgiveness is to set free, to set someone free, (laughs) to pardon is another way that we might say it. What that means is when we forgive people in this way, uh, that we are no longer holding something against them. That's what we love to do, right? We want to hold it against them. you got to earn my forgiveness, that, 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 that kind of idea. We want them to pay. They've hurt us, right? So, so we want them to pay. We, wa- we want them to earn. If, if, if they're going to set them free, they've got to earn that. But this verse is teach the opposite. Forgiveness is to release someone, to no longer hold anything against them, to pardon them, to set them free. And if you wonder, how can I do that? You just go right back to the gospel, right? It's exactly what God in Christ has done for you and I. He has released us. He has set us free from our sin. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13 says, Be kind, and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You see, Jesus laid down his life for your sin. We paid a, had a great debt we could never pay, great debt of sin, insurmountable debt of sin. But God in his love sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who paid that debt for you. He set you free when you placed your faith and trust in him. And so, having received such forgiveness, you and I are to forgive others. Not judge them, forgive them. But we don't stop there. We also become a giving people. It goes on to say in verse 37, Judge not, you will not be judged. Condemn, you will not be condemned. Forgive, you will be forgiven. Verse 38, give, and it will be given to you. Why would we do that? Again, That's exactly what God in Christ has done for you and I, yes? He has given to us. He not only forgave us of our sins, but then he has then given us every spiritual benefit he can possibly give us. God is a a good and gracious, magnanimous God who pours upon us all of his blessings that he can give us. I love Romans 8, 31 and 32. (laughs) Romans 8. 31 and 32 says this. Paul asks this amazing question. What then shall we say to these things? Since God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's Romans 8, 31 and 32. And there's a couple things I would point out to you about that verse. Number one is this. God is for you. Mark that down, anchor that down, get that, get that straight in your mind, in your heart, that God is for you who believe. Romans 8, 1 says, There is now therefore what? No 
condemnation for those who believe. If you have turned from your sin and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, he is for you. He's not against you. He is for you. He is working uh, for your good and his glory. He has foreknown you and predestined you and called you and justified you. One day he will glorify you. And you say, how do I know that? How do I know that God is for me? You look at the cross and you see how he gave his son. That's what the verse says, right? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He gave up his son, his only son, his beloved son, to be beaten and whipped and scourged and, and sacrificed on the cross for our sin. Therefore, God is for you, right? If he did that, the logic of the verse goes on to say this. Since God is for us, since he did not spare his own son, how then will he not give us all things? right? Just, just think it through. If God has given us his best, he's given us his dearest, he's given us his son, the most precious thing in the world that he has, his son, and he did that while you were a sinner, while you were unrighteous, while you were opposed to him, while you were his enemy, will he not then also, now that you have been saved and redeemed and justified and one day glorified, will he not then also give you everything else? You see, God is a giving God. God is a generous God. If, if someone thinks enough of you to give you a costly, brilliant, flawless diamond necklace, are they going to bat an eye when you say, can I have the box too? Right? And so that's what God has done. He has given you this uh, priceless uh, son of his for your redemption. He's not going to bat an eye when you ask him for whatever it is you're asking for him. He's already given you his best. He'll give you everything else. He's for you. He is not against you. He gives and gives and gives. I love Romans 5 that says, where sin increased, what did God do? God's grace increased all the more. And so he's merciful. We're to be merciful. When people sin against us, our response is to be what? Compassion, forgiveness, and giving. Generosity in the face of their wrongdoing. And when we do that, the scriptures have this promise there in verse 38, give and it will be given to you. But not only that, it goes on to say, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. Oh, that's amazing. That saying is you are merciful and compassionate and forgiving and giving as God is towards us. That he will overflow you with his good gifts and his generosity. (coughs) God will give us back even more than we give. (coughs) As people often say, you can't outgive God. Amen? You cannot outgive God. And God's not skimpy, God's not even fair. He's generous. That's what that verse is saying. He's super abundant. <coughs> the idea you get with verse 38 is all the spaces are filled. The container holds as much as it can possibly hold, even, even overflowing. There's no empty or open spaces. And I thought of a couple ways to illustrate that <clears throat> that I want to share with you. 
And I hope as you experience these things throughout day-to-day life, uh, that, that it will be reminders to you, God's gracious reminders to you of his, of his generosity. <clears throat> so when I, when I go to order ice cream, say I go to a Plainville ice cream store, and I order whatever it is I order, uh, a small vanilla cone. <clears throat> what I want to see when they do that is they, they get that cone, they get that scoop, and they get that vanilla, and they, I don't want to see them just plop that on top of the cone. What a, what a good worker does is they, they take the scoop and they press it down in, right? Because when I eat that cone, I want there to be some still delicious ice cream in there to go with that crunch, right? So that's the idea, pressing the ice cream down in so there's no empty spaces, and then putting another, co- or another scoop on top of that so now it's overflowing. That's the idea. Or when you take out the trash, <coughs> Or you don't want to take out the trash, and you're trying to get that bag to last another day so you can do that tomorrow or whatever. What do you do to that trash bag? You push down on it, right? You press it down. Maybe even pull it out, and you shake it a little bit, right? You do this. That gets it to move down. Maybe if you get crazy about it, you even get on top of it, and you jump up and down on it, (coughs) get some of that anger out or something, some of that frustration, and, and do that. And so then you can put more trash in it until it's overflowing again, right? That's the idea in our text, verse 38. God does that for us. You can't outgive God. When you give, he will fill you to overflowing. It's an amazing text, is it not? <laughs> How merciful and compassionate our Father is. Now, notice the end of verse 38. <clears throat> says, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. That's a powerful truth. That God applies back to your life the standard you apply to others. That's what it's saying, right? Just follow through. Verse 37, judge not, you will not be judged. Condemn not, you will not be condemned. Forgive, you will be forgiven. Give, it will be given to you. More than that, it will be uh, overflowing into your, into your lap. So the, the standard that you apply to others, God is going to take that and apply that right back to you. Well, that should make us slow down and think about what we do, shouldn't it? <laughs> you reap what you sow. This is true, I believe, positively and negatively. If you are merciful and compassionate and accepting, like our Lord Jesus Christ, he will be so with you. If you freely forgive and are generous, God will freely forgive and be generous with you. If, if you're harsh and controlling and judgmental and critical and condemning, God will respond in kind. That's what it's saying. Apply this, then, to your relationships. Apply this to your marriage Apply this to uh, friendships and church membership and uh, workplaces, right? If, if you as a husband are being selfish, unkind, unloving, unaffectionate, unrepentant, unforgiving, not good at listening, that's going to be paid right back to you by God. So it's encouraging us as a husband or a wife or as, as a friend or whatever relationship you, you can picture there is don't, don't be selfish, don't, don't be unforgiving, don't be judgmental. Rather, give, give kindness, give communication, give love, give affection, give repentance, give forgiveness, give, give listening, and God will pay it back. 
Abundantly so, it says. <laughs> so it's true in our relationships. Of course, it's also true in our financial giving. <laughs> Driving out to somewhere we were going the other day, and I saw the gas price is four ninety nine. <clears throat> and we see that, and we wanna we wanna take our wallets and and tightly hold them, all right? But when we apply our faith and we, we think about what we've just read here and heard in verses 37 and 38, we, we begin to recognize that this time of economic stress is an awesome opportunity from God to demonstrate our faith. Have you been thinking about it that way or have you been complaining about it? <clears throat> we are living in this time of economic stress it should not be a time to cling tighter to your wallet. It's an opportunity to put your faith and trust in God and to give of yourself, to give in any way, shape, or form that you can to his purposes. I don't mishear me. I'm not in any way, shape, or form preaching health and wealth, uh, prosperity gospel. I'm not preaching give to get. That's how that comes across, right? If you see that on TV or listen to some of the health and wealth guys, well, if you give this, God will give you all this. Is that the point? Not even close, right? God gives to you. He overflows as you give, so you'll do what? You'll turn around and keep on doing that. And as you do that, he'll bless you and bless you and bless you uh, for his purposes, for his kingdom. That's, that's the purpose of God's generosity and his mercy. <clears throat> Jesus is asking us, more than asking, he's commanding us that you trust him by giving your life away, not being judgmental, but instead being filled with compassion, forgiving, and giving. <clears throat> That's how we judge how Jesus judges. <clears throat> so the second point this morning is this. Whose sin do you see first? As we make our way through verses 39 through 42, whose sin do you see first? And Jesus is still talking about judgment here. He hasn't changed topics. He's still speaking about judgments in verses 39 through 42. And essentially, his point in verses 39 through 42 is, yeah, you, sh you should be judging, but you need to judge yourself first. Before you start going around trying to help other people, which is good, it's godly, we should be doing that, you need to bring it home first. Look in the mirror first. That's what he's gonna flush out in verses 39 through 42. Because if you don't look in the mirror first, <clears throat> you become this blind man. It talks about in verse 39. He told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Obviously not. Will they not both fall into a pit? Yes, they will, right? As they made rows, they had to move big boulders. They would often be on the sides of the roads, these huge pits. And if you're blind, you're going you're gonna to lead someone right into that. And so lots of times people read this text and <clears throat> they're thinking about it in relation to it saying that, <coughs> excuse me, that you should not be following a blind guide yourself. That's true. Jesus makes that application in various parts in the scriptures. That's not his application here. The application here in our text is you need to ask yourself, and I need to ask myself, am I the blind person? Am I the blind guide who other people are following? I'm going to lead them into a pit. That, that's the point of verse 39. And you are that blind person if you're filled with judgmentalism and condemnation. You're that blind person, he's saying. <laughs> we could also draw in from other texts of Scripture that if you are not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, you are also a blind guide. The Scriptures say that apart from faith in Christ, you are spiritually blind. 
You're dead in your trespasses and sins. And you need the Lord Jesus Christ to give you sight, spiritual sight. But even when you're trusting in Jesus Christ, we all have blind spots, right? I have blind spots. We all have blind spots. And if you do not deal with those blind spots, they can cause great damage in your life and the lives of others. So the question that verse 39 is challenging me and you with is, where are your blind spots? Where are your blind spots? If you think you don't have any blind spots, my goodness, you have a huge glaring blind spot. (laughs) There are a few things worse than someone who thinks they see when in reality they do not. Few things worse. (coughs) It is vitally important that we check ourselves, judge ourselves for blind spots, unless we lead others over a cliff. If you don't know where your blind spots are, then check out the next verse, verse 40. That's how you learn, by following the Lord Jesus Christ. It brings us right back to where we started, yes? <clears throat> that well, Apart from Christ, we're the blind leading the blind, but when we come to faith in Christ, he works to make us align, to fully train us, so that we begin to see where we're out of alignment and where we need to get back into priority, where we need to start living for him. That, that's the point of verse 40. We, we are the blind leading the blind apart from him. We can't see ourselves straight apart from him. But when we turn from our sin and trust in him, we follow his leadership, then we begin to get back into alignment. Our lives begin to prioritize what they should be prioritizing. We begin to love what we should love, and we begin to not be judgmental, but to be what? Forgiving and giving. Because Jesus is what? He's forgiving and giving. So if you're following the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll begin to be fully trained as he is, and you'll begin to catch his spirit, and you'll begin to forgive as he forgives, and you'll begin to give as he gives, and that judgmentalism will go away. That's what verse 40 is saying. It's asking, what leader are you following? And what kind of leader are you? It's a challenging, challenging text. <clears throat> and if you ask yourself, well, again, how can I know... How can I know if I'm being fully trained? How can I know if I'm blind? How can I know if I'm following the Lord Jesus Christ? How can I help others do the same? Well, verses 41 and 42 answer that question. Verses 41 and 42 basically say, check yourself. Examine yourself. Let me read those verses. Verse 41, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log That is, where? In your own eye. How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly, right? So you're no longer blind. You will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. What's Jesus saying? He's saying judgment starts here right? That's what he's saying. Criticism starts here. You want to put people under the microscope? Put yourself under there first. That's what it's saying. I know our tendency, our tendency is to be easy on ourselves, harsh on others. We'd rather point out a dozen sins that someone else is doing uh, than look at our own life, right? <laughs> we love to point out that, that tiny little speck that's in someone else's eye, and we want to remove it. And all the while, people are like, don't you see it? Why are you so blind? Don't you see that log coming out of your eye? You, you can see the humor in it. <clears throat> in fact, I learned as I, as I studied this this week, but that word there for log is, is very, very, very interesting. 
I don't know what you picture in your mind when you, when you read uh, verse 41 about don't notice the log that's in your own eye. Again, it's, it's very humorous. Jesus, for sure, had a sense of humor. But that word log, <clears throat> it's a Greek word that was usually used to describe a load-bearing beam that was used for structural support in large construction projects. <laughs> so it's not like this tiny little stick or even a two-by-four. It's a load-bearing beam coming out of your eye socket. That's huge. Jesus point again is you should be your own chief critic. It is ludicrous that you have a load-bearing beam coming out of your eyes and you're trying to get at that speck in that other person's eye. Right? That's his point. (laughs) Now, when we talk about being our own chief critic, don't be overly introspective, but you should be more concerned about your own sin then you are the sin of whoever's sitting next to you. Whose sin, ask yourself this, right? Whose sin are you more conscious or aware of? Your sin or the sin of your family members or your church members? That speaks volumes about that beam hanging out of your eyeball. It's a convicting text, isn't it? It's a challenging text. What do you get more worked up about? Jesus or the the sin of others or your own sin? Whose sin do you see first? Do you see your log or do you see the speck? And if you see the speck quicker than you see that log, Jesus is saying you are a blind guide. You need more training. You need a lot more training. And again, don't go too far with this. Jesus is not saying that you need to be perfect before you can help others. If that was true, no one would ever be helped. But Jesus is calling upon you and I to check yourself. If you're going to be fully trained, if you're going to have the spirit, the heart of Jesus Christ and be transformed into him, then you need a deep-seated commitment to your own holiness, to self-accountability, to deal with sin in your life honestly and openly before trying to help others out. We're supposed to do that. Yes, we're supposed to try and help others. Jesus brings it out in the text. He says, verse 42, how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your own eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck, uh, take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. So Jesus wants us to help one another get that sin out of our lives, right? He wants us to judge others and see the sin in other people's lives, but first do it to yourself, he says. Start at home. Do hard work at it personally. (laughs) Again, I know the temptation is so-and-so would just change. Everything would be so wonderful. So-and-so wouldn't do that anymore or think that way or act that way or talk that way. Everything would be so great. And Jesus says, no, look back at yourself, right? And think about how you're acting and talking and uh, thinking, Remember that repentance is a gift from God. You cannot change other people. Only God can change others. But you can and must change yourself. If you try and help others before trying to help yourself, you are guilty of hypocrisy. 
So that's, that's what it means when it says, do not judge. Let me wrap it up this way. In your notes, you should have uh, these four questions to ask. As we think about <clears throat> judging others the way Christ would have us to judge, as we think about putting off judgmentalism and putting on in its place this forgiving, giving, compassionate spirit, I wanted to end this, this message by giving you these, these four questions to ask as you seek to be fully trained and as you seek to help others be fully trained. Uh, so the first question uh, that we should ask is, am I being quick to judge myself or others first? Am I being quick to judge myself or others first? <clears throat> Don't rush in with thunder and lightning, right? I saw what you did, bing, 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 right? We, just, we nail them. I'm going to give you that. I saw that. I know why you did that. I'm going to do this. Don't jump in with thunder and lightning. Operate in the opposite direction. Put yourself under that microscope. Pray the prayer of Psalm 139, 23 and 24, where the psalmist writes, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So that's that question again. Whose sin do you see first? And ask yourself, am I being quick to judge myself or am I being quick to judge others first? Judge yourself first. Pray to God, help me see my sin and help me see that my sin is worse than their sin. That's critical. Help me see that my sin is worse than the sin of others. That's, that's what it says. You got a log hanging out of your, your eye socket. They got a speck. So pray to God to help you to see your sin first and to see that your sin is worse than their sin. <clears throat> Number two, you can, you can say this, you can ask this, help me understand. <clears throat> so you've dealt with the sin in your life, uh, you've tried to work through that, and now you're, you're, you're going to the other person who you want to help, and you ask or you think, help me understand. You see how that's humble? When you can say to someone, help, help me understand. Help me understand when you say this. Or help me understand when you, when you do that. Help me understand why you do that. Help me understand your motive, your intention in doing that. When we, when we ask the question that way, we're remembering we have this huge beam coming out of our eyes. So we don't always see things straight. Right? If you've got this huge beam sticking out of your head, it's hard to see things right. And so there's a very good chance that you're not understanding why that person did what they did uh, rightly. It's very easy to misinterpret and misunderstand the words and actions of others. So we humbly go to our brother and sister in Christ saying, help me understand, is, am I seeing this right? Is my perception right? It's not judgment. It's a genuine desire to understand and work through things. <clears throat> it's believing the best. Number three... <clears throat> Number three, ask the question, are you okay? That's so much better than rushing the judgment, right? We jump in, we judge, we judge, we judge. Thunder and lightning bolts. It's so much better to say, hey, help me understand. Are, are you okay? You see how that's compassionate? It's not judgmental. It's not severe. It's not harsh. It's 
loving, it's generous. Are, are you okay? What's going on? I see this, I'm worried, I'm concerned. Are you okay? It's an opportunity to show compassion, to show grace, to show mercy, which naturally leads to number four. Hey, am I seeing this right? Are you okay? How can I help? Man, what a difference. How different that is from condemnation, jumping to see the worst thing in their life to, I'm not sure I'm seeing that right. What's going on? How can I help you? How can I, how can I help grow you and help, help, help you be more like Christ through this? You're, you're not going in to condemn. You're not licking your chops. I got you now. Right? No, you're going with the desire to bring repentance. You're going with the re- desire to restore the relationship. You're going with the desire for the good of the person and the good of the church. <clears throat> you're going there to be merciful as your heavenly father is merciful. Just imagine Orangeville Baptist Church, us being a body of believers who are filled with this kind of compassion. What a powerful community that would be and testimony that would be to the Lord Jesus Christ. So I I think we all, if we're being honest, if we're catching the spirit of this text and the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, we all have a lot of good training to do in our life, huh? So just kind of think and pray and ask and have that quiet moment with God. Where is he pointing out to you that 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 bone is broken and it needs to be realigned and you need help, you need to get unstuck, you need him to keep training you. Go to him with that. Ask him to help you. Go forth from, from this church this morning with that spirit of generosity, that spirit of giving, that spirit of mercy as our Father is merciful. And praise God, he's merciful, huh? I know he's got a lot of work left to do on me. (laughs) So with all of us, amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for saving us. Thank you for not giving us what we deserve. Thank you for not being quick uh, to just utterly destroy us and, and give us justice for our sin. Thank you that you are merciful, that you are slow to get angry with us, and that in place of anger, <clears throat> you are merciful and gracious and generous to us. Our, our minds <clears throat> have such a hard time getting our, our minds around that, but even as we sang this morning, help us, help us not to forget that. So often, Lord, myself included, we are guilty of gospel amnesia. <clears throat> we forget the gospel. We forget your tenderness, your mercy, your compassion, your forgiveness, your giving. We forget it, and uh, we become quick to judge and to condemn and to assume the worst of others. Forgive us, Father, for that. Help myself and each one of us to have this community of eyes that are fixed and focused and transformed by the gospel and your mercy and your love and your gentleness and your generosity and your forgiveness. And help us to be fully trained in this way. Search us and show us where we're out of alignment, where we're still a mess, where our priorities, our thoughts, our desires, our wants are are wrong and misplaced. And Lord, align us, change us. Uh, Do that hard, transforming, uh, painful, but necessary work that we need. Or show us the logs that are sticking out of our eyeballs. 
Help each one of us here to see our sin first and to understand that it's, it's far, far, far worse than anyone else's sin. Lord, please be gracious to us in that way. Help us to be humble in that way and to grow in you this way. And may you be glorified because of it. And we just pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.